Hey guys, welcome to our live show of Alohomora at MistyCon. Who's excited for the show? Yeah! Okay, um, if you guys could make as much noise as possible during the show to generate sound, that would be excellent. Uh, that's, that's great. Um, so I'm Noah Freed. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Laura Riley. I'm Cam Miller. So how is everyone enjoying MistyCon so far? We're super excited to be here. What what has been your favorite thing about MistyCon so far? Someone tell us. Shout it out. Anyway. The Rock. The Rock? Yes. Yeah, that was last night. Oh, okay, night. yeah. Yeah. Who nice. else hit up Wizard Rock last night? Awesome. <laughs> Who came out to Jeopardy? Me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Caleb participated in Jeopardy. Got second place? Second place. Second place. I can live with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you guys may notice there's an empty chair, and we're super excited to have a really special guest with us here today. Uh, you guys may know her from Doctor Who. She was in the Snowman special. And, of course, Harry Potter. She played young Lily. Mm-hmm. Ellie Darcy Eldon. <laughs> Yay! Thanks for joining us. Good morning. And rocking the Aloha Moore shirt, too. Yeah. Nice. Looking great. <laughs> Have you been enjoying uh, MistyCon, Ellie? I love it so far. It's been really excitable. I can't wait. Have you seen, has there ever been an intensive Harry Potter experience like this that you've had before? Um, I went to LeakyCon in 2011 in Orlando, but I love this. It's such a nice environment, and everyone's so kind and caring. It's just brilliant. So for those of you who have, how many of you guys have, have listened to our show before, Alohomora? All right, oh, wow. so we have some listeners out there. How many of you guys, this is your first Alohomora experience? Awesome. That's really exciting. So just to give you an idea for those of you who aren't familiar, what we do on Alohomora is we are doing a global reread of the Harry Potter series. So we decided that now that the books and movies are over, we really needed something to like bring back the magic of Harry Potter. Um, we decided what better way than to go back through the books week now, week by week, um, one chapter at a time, to really dive back into the magic of Harry Potter. So right now, um, we are in Prisoner of Azkaban, um, and we're, we're pretty close to wrapping Prisoner of Azkaban up. We're just um, a little over one year of having our show together. So we're really excited to uh, continue that ga- with you guys here today. Yeah, so um, if you haven't listened to the show before, like we said, we're on Prisoner of Azkaban, so you can go in and listen to every episode we've discussed of Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, and um, we're up to Chapter 19 on Prisoner of Azkaban, which is Servant of Lord Voldemort that we'll be doing next week. Mm-hmm. But uh, right now, we're going to keep it a bit more in general and uh, the show talking about a few of the main topics that we kind of determined from Prisoner of Azkaban. Some of the theories that are really big on our forums that just we can't take four hours and talk about on the show. Right, yeah. So we're going to talk about it here. Uh, so that's kind of the rundown of the show. We're going to be talking about these topics. But a big thing we want you guys to be thinking of, uh, you guys are welcome to come up to the mics and give comments if you have anything. But th- be thinking of what-if questions. Uh, on the show we do a spe- feature of what-if um, just any hypothetical question, uh, be thinking of them because at the towards the end of the show, we want to ask you guys some good questions. Them. Yeah. So, so should we jump right in? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So the first topic we're going to talk about is animagi. Okay. Right? How do you guys say it? This is the hot debate of anime guy versus anime jai. We've been fighting about it all day. for days. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's what I said. Yeah, it's it's the two audiobooks that are making everyone on the divide. So right. we're going to say, have we determined anime guy? Anime guy. Anime, anime guy. guy. Right. All right. Anime guy. Anime guy. Okay. okay, perfect. First question. What would Dumbledore do if he found out they were trying to become anime guy? And this refers to the original Marauders. So if you go back to the books, um, Lupin actually talks about how Dumbledore had no idea. But what if he secretly knew that this was happening at the time? What do you, um, what do you guys think? Do you think that he truly had no idea, or do you think that he, because I get the impression um, Dumbledore has a very, like, soft spot for Lupin in that he was able to, um, like, give him this, like, solace, and that how lonely Lupin was, I almost feel like he would kind of turn a blind eye towards his friends becoming anime guy, and as a way to just make sure, like, Lupin had company. Yeah, I, 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 kinda, I, I find it hard to believe that Dumbledore just doesn't, didn't know. At least to some capacity that something was happening. So that means our guy Dumbledore is covering up for these underage, unregistered animagi. And, and it, yeah, so, I mean, because this would not have been legal for them to be an animagus each. Well, he has no problem keeping secrets. Yeah. We all know that. Well, it's just another way that Dumbledore's being a little shady out there. Right. So. Move your mic back. Yeah. I also think that... Um, if, if that's true that he doesn't, uh, that he did kind of know, I get, I would get the impression that anime guy turning into one is a rather dangerous process since you're, you know, transforming yourself, transforming everything about you into a different species. Uh, might, might have been irresponsible, unless, but where, perhaps he truly didn't know. Well, that makes me think that maybe Dumbledore even helped them, and we know Dumbledore was a transfiguration yeah. professor before he was, before that's he right. was, um... Headmaster, so maybe even help them become. Um, that would have been overstepping some bounds. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I. I he turns a blind eye towards um, a lot of the stuff Harry does, even in um, condoning the time travel uh, with towards the end of the Prisoner with Sirius and Buckbeak and everything. He kind of says it, and then he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." When they, you know, come back, so he t- he tends to let people do things. And just kind of be like, I didn't see it. Right. Yeah. That kind of, we were, we were talking about um, Animagi and Patronuses last night. Because obviously this book has a lot to do with those two things. And we realized that, I think we decided we had, we know two characters who we know both things for. We know right. Minerva McGonagall's is a cat and um, for her Patronus and her Animagus form. And the same thing for James Potter. He has a stag both times. And we don't know really any other characters for sure what their Patronus and their Animagus form is, because obviously there are very few Animagi in the, in the series. So we, we were thinking, would they always be the same for a person? You know, if you were an Animagus, would your Animagus form and your Patronus form always be the same? So this, maybe this is a really great time for, for you guys in the audience to come share, share what you think. Yeah, what would your Animagus be? And would your Patronus be the same? Charlie, do you want to come same? up to the microphone? Feel free, yeah, come yeah, up go to right this ahead. microphone over here. <clears throat> Hello. Hi. I just um, wanted to say that I don't think it's true that it's always the same um, because Snape's was a doe, um, and I don't think he's a. I don't think he would have a doe um, and a and guy, um, and a magus, whatever. <laughs> you got me all confused on how to pronounce it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, and also about what you said 
Dumbledore turning a blind eye. I don't think he would have turned a completely blind eye because it is really dangerous. So I think he might have done what he did when Harry went to the, was going to the Mirror of Erised. He made himself invisible and watched in case something bad happened. Oh, and then he could have fixed it because he is the Transfiguration Master, so he could have done that. And um, I think my Patronus would be like a black mamba snake. That's what I thought. Wow. Wow. Nice. <laughs> Pretty intense. If you were an anime guy, would you turn into that as well? Uh, yeah, I think that'd probably be what it was. You think so? Yeah, although my friend thinks I'd be a panther. I don't know why. Oh. So I'm going to give you a follow-up. If you, if you don't, th- I agree that Snape would probably not be a doe at <laughs> Lord. We're getting some weird feedback. So, so what do you think Snape's animagus form would be? If um, he was one. Well, I mean, a lot of people would say he might be a bat. Right. Um, That's what I was thinking. But, um, I think he would... I almost think he could be a lion, because, you know, like... Because I feel like Snape probably could have gone to Gryffindor if he wasn't so sneaky. And, you know, I thought lions were kind of brave and stuff like that. But I never... Uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just not sure. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. So that, that's interesting. So if Snape's Patronus is a doe, that makes me think that are all Patronuses the opposite gender of what you are? Or does that oh, mean... Yes. That there's something like essentially feminine about Snape. I mean, we know that the doe refers to. Here we go. Here we go, guys. Listeners will know know this is that moment in the show. We know that the doe refers to uh, to Lily, right? The fact that he loves Lily, and that's probably her because James is a stag. But our Patronus is kind of like um, not uh, what? What's that series? The dark uh, dark material series. You have the the, demons. Right, Damons are the opposite gender. So, we do we think that all Patronuses could be the opposite gender of the character? I mean, I don't hate really to know. poke a hole in this theory, but Harry's is a stag. Stags are male. Harry yeah. is male. Yeah. End of story. No, there you go. Shut down. <laughs> well, fine. Then. Shut down. Then why is all right? So, is Harry really a male? Right. Hey, look what you have just started. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Keith. Well, <laughs> I have some theories about that, but. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into that. Um, but the fact that Snape's uh, Snape's is a doe. Um, do we think that gender even comes into play, or is it really arbitrary? Arbitrary. I don't think it comes into play because you have a lot of animals that de- that's not set up like a deer. Like you have a doe and a stag. Um, not all animals are set up to where you have like a binary gender like that. Yeah. Um, specifically in their name. So. Yeah, I know we discussed on a previous episode the possibility of. Um, the the Patronus being more of a representation of like who you are at the time because we know that they can change uh, like Tonks has changed uh, for Lupin and everything but that the Animaga Animagus wouldn't change like you wouldn't if, if something about you changed like you'd still be in that Animagus right, that's form. stuck forever yeah. yeah yeah so we were kind of discussing the possibility of the Patronus being our like how you're portraying yourself at the time and the animagus being like your true essence. And then in some cases, those might be the same thing. Uh, the, if people are truly being themselves, like it might be the same thing, but if someone changes pretty drastically, their Patronus might reflect yeah. that. Ellie, do you, do you know what yours would be? Your Patronus or your animagus form? I'm, I'm not sure about my animagus form, but I think that I would probably stick with the silver doe because it's sort of my inner personality, I guess. Hmm. They can be quite fierce and, you know, out there, but then they're also quite content and shy sometimes. So I think I'd probably keep a silver doe for my Patronus, but I'm not sure about my animagus 
I'm really not because I have so many characteristics. I could be any animal in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I have so, another question for you. Um, we were also discussing on an episode that just kind of how strange I found it that there's so few registered animagus. Like, it seems like such an awesome thing to be able to transform into an animal, all the different things you could do that humans can't, um, but yet all these powerful wizards don't really do it. We only really know of McGonagall as a, as a registered one. But do they really? I mean... Well, you know, that's what we well, said. There could yeah. be unregistered ones, but would you turn into an animagus if you were a wizard? Would you? Do you see an appeal in it? I think that sometimes it's a really good thing to get away with because if <laughs> you need to sneak out of somewhere or go somewhere and you're needed for capturing, then it's a perfect opportunity. But it can also be really dangerous. Well, I think that Dumbledore was quite... Con- I think he was also quite concerned when um, Lupin's friends tried to turn into anime guy. Hmm. But I think he, he did turn a blind eye because he knew that they were helping him and in a way. Right. So I think if I was given the opportunity, I might take it, but it's also really dangerous, so I don't think I'd know what to do. I just, uh, I thought of the fact that Lupin had been struggling all year with telling, whether, telling Dumbledore whether or not Sirius, that Sirius was an unregistered animagus. So it makes me think, like, Lupin kind of genuinely believes that Dumbledore had no idea, since he had been struggling with that conflict. Right. So, um... Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's a possibility that Dumbledore didn't have an idea. I know, like, the Weasley twins had, like, joked that some of the more, like, simple, like, things and people, like, they're not, not as much attention is, is put towards them. That I don't, maybe, no, maybe Dumbledore didn't necessarily think they were capable of it because they weren't, we don't really get the impression that they're very studious and, you know, talented wizards until later. So real, real quick, let's let's say what our Patronus char, Patronus forms would be. Animagus. And Animagus. I think both of mine would be a cat. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you true. think the Patronus and the Animagus form is pretty much the same? Because we see this consistency throughout the books. Uh, no, we don't see this consistency throughout the books. Rebecca is telling me. A bug. <laughs> That's so true. That'd be uh, pretty what that I mean, you can picture that versus Dementor, like. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to, it would kind of like shoot through the Dementor. It'd be like, it's, uh, but a bug isn't going to really ward off a, a Dementor. Right. Yeah. But is the yeah. general idea? So the, the cicadas are coming. The cicadas are coming. I think mine, I think both mine would be a cat. I just do. Yeah. It fits me. Yeah. Well, yeah. no. Just, you know, just a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> Noah, what's yours? I'd be, a, I'd be a bunny rabbit. Yeah. For both? For both. Yeah. yeah, and Caleb and I are arguing because both of, both of us want to be wolves. And well, I think actually mine would be different um, between the two. I feel like my my Patronus is an Arctic wolf. Um, I've always had that, like since so I started fun. reading <laughs> since I started reading Harry Potter. Since we got to this, that's book. very specific. Yeah, it is. Um, so that's how I know Harry Potter that magic is real. Um, and um, but I actually think my Animagus form would be a falcon because I would want to fly. That's cool. So. so it's funny that you brought up Rita Skeeter because we were talking about what would happen if someone like stepped on her. Would first would they be punished? Well, yeah. you know how how would they be punished for that? Would they go to Azkaban because if they step on her and she's dead, they've technically killed someone? Good. What do you think?
they might just stay dead in their enemy this time. I don't think they transform back to the enemy. So I don't think so the question about that, though, is after Barty's mom died, you know, after the Polyjuice Potion wore off... It doesn't wear off if you're dead. Say what? It doesn't wear off if you're dead. Do we know that for sure? Yeah, because... Well, if Dementors are lying, they could have very good at that. Well, I don't think Dementors can very good I think they... I think they're like Morris who are at Well, maybe it wasn't... Maybe she was... Um, Buried before it wore off. But yeah, someone wondered, like, we dug, let's go dig her up. Let's, let's oh, go find her. Oh, God. <laughs> let's not go there. Should we move on to uh, time travel? Well, uh, do you want to read this comment? Should we move on to time travel? Should we move back? Well, we have this, this comment <laughs> from travel. our forums. Do we want to oh, read that? Yeah, go ahead. So if you guys don't know, we have a really um, awesome set of forums that you can discuss the show on. And we actually, every episode, we, we pull a few comments from the, the forums to show what other people are thinking. Um, and this one comes from a user whose username is Dream Quaffle. Um, and the comment says, There's no way to know for sure since we never actually see a character die in their animagus form. In Chapter 20 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Sirius tries to ward off Lupin the werewolf in his animagus form and is forced to transform back into a human after he gets hurt. I don't know if it's easier to cope with pain in human form than it is when you are transformed into an animal. But I think it most likely... I think it is most likely that if a person is badly injured, then they would find it difficult to focus on anything else, including maintaining a state of transformation. Go along, going along with these lines, depending on how a person might be killed while they are in an animagus form, the pain of it might force them to transform back into a human and then die. So you think it's a conscious effort? That I think that's what this person is saying, to like stay in animagus yeah. form? Yeah. Also, you know, obviously none of us knows what it feels like to be an animal and be injured. But uh, right. depending on, you know, your form, if, if you were to get injured, perhaps it would affect you more as an animal if you're smaller, if you have, like, not as thick skin. Like, put it this way, like, Pettigrew is like a rat. He's much, he can get easy, uh, stepped on, essentially, and be hurt pretty badly versus, you know, uh, a stag, which could still get hurt, but it takes a bit more of effort or force that... Um, Maybe the pain of getting injured as an animal is more like painful than a human, and that's why they might choose to switch. I mean, back. what about what about even serious with the Dementors back? He was able to kind of his pain wasn't so much as you recall because he was living in Azkaban as a as a dog for most of the time, and that's how he was able to kind of bear a lot of the uh, the, the sucky feelings well, no, that they were giving him. It was like him. he got injured by the werewolf, so it was like physical injury. Right, but I'm, I'm just talking in terms of I wonder if you're in an animagus form, if pain itself is, as you're saying, not as much because you are in an animal form versus a human form. Um, or so maybe you're saying pain mental, like, anguish? Of the maybe, maybe mental anguish is slightly less because you're... you're hmm, I mean, it's, it's kind of tough. If you're an animal, you're still like really trying desperately to survive. I'm pretty sure... I don't know if this was on... Uh, if we just decided this or if it was on Pottermore or something, but uh, that you maintain human thought which makes me feel like you have like a human brain and thinking capacity that you don't kind of take on. I feel like it's the other way. I feel like you become kind of like a dog. Talia, do you want to come up to the mic so that your comment can yeah. be uh, heard? Well, actually, on that subject, in Fantastic Beasts and Where to... No, it's Quidditch of the Ages. Um, they're talking about how uh, people, before they had brooms, they couldn't fly because even if they were transfigured into a bat, they wouldn't have human thought, which they mentioned was different from the Animagus form where you do retain human thought, and that's just a sort of a sub-note in Quidditch of the Ages. Um, that it's different oh. from, like when you're transfigured into an animal, like when Malfoy was transfigured into a ferret, he had like a ferret's mindset because 
Like, he might have some of his human thoughts, but he's mostly a ferret. But, like, when McGonagall turns into a cat, she can remember things. Like, in uh, Philosopher's Stone, she is... Um, She's sitting on that brick wall all day, and she's observing the muggles, and she can see, like, Dudley going down the street, and she understands that he's, swing- that he's screaming for sweets and stuff. So, obviously, you do, rem- you do retain um, human thought. When You're absolutely happens. right. We've, Every- never really, yeah. we've never really talked about um, the, the fact that Malfoy had been transformed into a ferret, that it seems like, obvi- like the spell Moody or Crouch does seems rather simple for how much she's just, you know, transformed into a ferret, that it kind of seems simple. How is that different from transforming into an animagus. So that means that Draco's mind completely became a, a ferret mind in that instance, and he really was a ferret, but Tal, you're absolutely right. Give her a hand. That was, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back. Usually I, I go on tangents and, and my ideas are like, it's got to be this, but that was, you're exactly right. But then I, I still feel the fact that Pettigrew was a rat for so long, um, and Sirius was a dog for so long. I feel like in the books, they each became kind of like that animal in a way, especially when they were they were back into human form. It was like Pettigrew was more kind of like radish. So it's as if once you spend enough time in that form, your human mind will become as more animal to all your great. Um, anybody else from the audience have a, a thought? Go ahead. Hi, um, I'm Maggie. Um, what I was thinking about this was that it seemed like animagus were like personalities uh, specifically, I've been studying psychology, and the Patronuses were more like the specific traits that you had during life, which is why the Animagus would be the staying the same and the Patronus would be changing. And so to continue on what we were talking about, the reason that someone would be more animal-like would be that their personality would be more fitting of the uh, animal that they were in, and if they spend more time within that personality, rather than developing human traits, they would become more basic and instinctual, I think. And where does the human brain go? I mean, it's uh, feasibly it's the same size brain, but like shrunk so that it can fit into that animal body. Um. I think that has something to do with biology and genes. We all have all, all the animals in our genes, which sort of disproves one of your Wait, theory. what do you mean by that? Uh, all of the genes... They've done this with chicken eggs, actually, where they've made chickens into dinosaurs. And that means that all of the animals, pretty much, that are in the biological tree are in our genes. And so I think when a wizard turns into an agonomagus, they are, like, switching their genes to the specific animal that they are turning into. And depending on their personality... Some genes are more accessible than others, which is how we get specific animagus. Please, everybody, give her a hand. That, that was really cool. I'm pretty sure we just seen Charles Darwin like rattling at his grave, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, I think we should probably like, move, move on, on. To, to time travel now, which is... My least favorite. Um, something that really has taken off in the forums. Like, we have a huge discussion oh going on about time travel. It makes travel. my brain hurt so badly. Yeah. It's obviously. like 22 pages long. No and doubt. every comment is like a novel size of everyone's yeah, going on. Yeah, because obviously this book brings in this like element of time travel. We see it happening throughout the series. We learned about it after that. Hermione has been doing it the whole time. Um, but then it plays a huge role in um, resolving the conflict in the book. Um, you had some. Yeah, so in terms of time travel, should I go into our theories? So 
Okay, so when you, th- when you think about time travel, there are several science fiction and fantasy series that deal with it over the years, and there are certain there are two like dominant theories about it. So you either have multiple universe theory, which is that every single time time travel happens in each moment, a new universe is created, and therefore parallel timelines are created and are like pre-existing in in some sort of parallel landscape. Or you have the idea that there is merely one timeline, and every time you use a time travel device and you go back in time you always would have done that. So say Harry goes back in time before he was born, it would just so work that in the single timeline, Harry was there in 1945, fighting, like watching Grindelwald and Dumbledore fight or something, and then was also um, born later, so it, within the same timeline. So like as you can imagine, I, I, I mean, that's somewhat clear to me, but I'm sure to, it, it's still kind of iffy. It's the opposite of clear to me. Opposite to clear to Laura. <laughs> um, in terms of how this kind of time works in the Harry Potter series, I believe it's the the latter one. There's no multiple universe. It's that um, Ron... Circular, it, yeah. It's, it's the, the sort of circular theory that Harry and Hermione would have always gone back. Um, and it's it's kind of in this loop because it keeps happening over and over again within that, like, um, time. Like, how does that... So, Ellie, you know a little bit about time because you were on Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, what <laughs> What, what do you think about the time travel in, in Harry Potter versus Doctor Who? Um, Doctor Who is quite different, I think, because um, you go back in time, but they've, they've never been to that place before. So the Doctor can go back in time to another universe where he has never visited. So he won't see himself and have to worry, I've got not to get caught. Mm. But in Harry Potter, they have, they're always worrying where they are at that point because they can't be caught by them because then everything will go wrong. So I think it's quite different in that point of way, but it's also really similar because they go back. Sometimes they go back for fun, the Doctor, and then they end up getting in a big mess and everything happens. But then in Harry Potter, they go back for a specific reason to get something accomplished. So That's right. I think it's different, but then it's similar in other ways. And with time travel, if you do something or you change something, it's going to have drastic uh, potential consequences. Consequences. <laughs> it's um, like the butterfly effect. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, what would you guys do if you saw yourselves? Like, on I'd accident? kill them. I'd kill them in cold blood. That's just me. But. <laughs> you would not. <laughs> well, I, I feel like I would have to have a conversation. Like, I would have a lot of questions. I just want to talk. I would just ob- want to just observe for a while, like my like mannerisms and just kind of like sit back and like critique myself of like oh gosh like oh, exactly which I love in the movie Hermione when she says like does my hair really look oh, like yeah. that from the back that was, <laughs> it was like my life like that's all I would be worrying about but I think if I was a wizard and like I saw myself in the time travel I wouldn't be like oh my god like what is this world I'd be like why am I time traveling like what's happening what goes wrong I'd be less worried about just oh my god I'm time traveling and more worried about why am I time traveling especially if you knew like it that you were time traveling like, yeah. like, like that's something that you do so that actually you know because you know, Dumbledore gives them this warning to like make sure they're not seeing because like it talks about like how wizards have gone insane you know doing it but I kind of agree that since they're wizards, that wouldn't probably like throw them off too much. And I think maybe Dumbledore's exaggerating the caution just so they don't see themselves really so they don't mess up what needs to happen. I think he's just sort of like exaggerating that so they don't screw up because his end goal is just them fixing the problem. Well, right. if I feel like if Hermione and the, I think Harry would have been a bit more freaked out, but uh, and also he was more emotional with that's always um, true. With, yeah, <laughs> with like uh, the whole Pettigrew thing. But I think if Hermione 
had seen herself, like, obviously she knows she's an avid time traveler. I don't think she would have been freaked out, but if you had seen yourself time traveling, and now you know, obviously, there's an issue that I'm time traveling to fix, like, how could you then just go about the rest of whatever you were doing without freaking out of, like, is this what I'm doing wrong? Is this what I'm going to have to do? How could Dumbledore trust these 13-year-olds? I mean, they're Harry and Hermione, but... How could he trust them to actively do this? Or did he know from the start when McGonagall gave Hermione the time turner that this was going to happen? Which is a thought that I don't, I didn't have. We, we had, we've kind of talked about this, but yeah. how how was Dumbledore too risk? Was this too risky for Dumbledore here? Or did he really trust them, or did he kind of generate this whole thing? Yeah, what's his level of start? involvement? What's his level of involvement? We, I think we have a comment in the back. Would if you just come up? Come to the mic. Dumbledore, the Sorry, Puppet master. A Ravenclaw. Thank you very much. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Please state your name into the microphone. Let her get there first. <laughs> I'm Cassie. Hi, Cassie. That's me. Or Moaning Myrtle. Or Moaning Myrtle. Whatever. Um, I think that Dumbledore isn't necessarily all-knowing, whereas he's just aware of a lo- all the possibilities. Mm-hmm. So, like, when McGonagall gave Hermione the time-turner... He's a, he probably thought, hmm, this might be necessary later on. I don't think he knows, okay, something's going to go wrong. Because, like, if he did, why wouldn't he just fix it from the get-go? I think he's aware that there's a million possibilities of things that could happen, and he's constantly aware of how it can be fixed. And if he had the choice, I'm sure he wouldn't send 13-year-olds to do the job. But he knew that they could get it done, and he knew that it needed to be done. Therefore... He let it happen. Really, though? Because, I mean, he sent Harry into the Chamber of Secrets. Well, it's, it's all for the greater good. He sent Harry to die for Voldemort as a pig for slaughter. I mean, I but mean I really. Think he, knew... he has no compassion. That's a lie. <laughs> yeah. <No>. Disagree. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, I think he knew it needed to be done. I think he knew that the, what do you call it, the Horcrux was in Harry and that he could come out of it. Sure. So I think he's not necessarily all-knowing, but he's well aware of what everything that's going on around him. Yeah. Do you think, um, now, like, we know McGon- like, uh, Hermione meets with McGonagall in the beginning for the, for the time-turner. How do you think McGonagall's reaction was, since McGonagall's more straight-laced, uh, which, even though well, I think... Well, chill. You better not insult McGonagall up here. I'm wearing her shirt, so... Let's, oh, let's... I know, McGonagall. I love McGonagall. I'm saying, would she have been totally cool with Hermione doing this, I think she would be more concerned to the fact that even though she's so responsible, like, this girl's still 13. Being more of the stricter thing. I don't know. McGonagall's pretty trusting of powerful women. I think she sees a lot of Yeah, she sees a lot of herself. In Hermione, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah. Ellie, how do you feel about Hermione? I think that McGonagall maybe uh, had a discussion with Dumbledore first. And then, obviously, Dumbledore has full faith in Hermione mm. and said she is trusting. And I think as soon as he know that, knew that Sirius had broke out of Azkaban, that he was going to be aiming at Harry, and he knew that there was a possibility that they would need the time-turner, I think they, he said that, yeah, go ahead. And I think then McGonagall put all her faith in Hermione and said, right, here you go. And then Hermione went off, but she had no idea what was coming. But I think Dumbledore and McGonagall... Maybe you think they knew that the later scene was going to happen? Like Dumbledore knew all the way back. I think that Dumbledore might have had an idea because obviously Sirius was coming for Harry. Mm. So I think he might have had an idea that they would need it in some point to help save lives. 
So it could be a possibility, but I'm not sure. But I knew that he probably had all his faith in Hermione to give her the responsibility to take on the time turner. But I'll ask you, because that means that if Dumbledore knew from the beginning that something might happen, is there is there a potentiality that he knew that Pettigrew was the actual one who blew himself up? Is that possible? And if Dumbledore knew that information... Would, wouldn't it have been Dumbledore's responsibility to kind of go to the Ministry of Magic to show that Pettigrew was actually the one who killed all those people and not Sirius? Or, or do you think he didn't know about that until the end? I know this is kind of like an I think, abstract question. <laughs> I think that maybe he didn't know about Pettigrew, but he knew that maybe something suspicious was going on because it's Hogwarts and normally something sp- suspicious goes on. <laughs> it's not true. If, nothing's yeah. going, if nothing's suspicious going on, it's not a good year. Like, I just have to wonder, because like, thinking about this, I, and I never really thought about this, but I feel like Dumbledore had to have doubts about the story that everyone seems to accept, that Pettigrew was killed by Black, Black betrayed, betrayed sure. the Potters. Like Dumbledore was very close to the Potters and Sirius Black, and, mm-hmm. and I just don't think that he was convinced that Sirius, that the story was what the Ministry was putting out there. And I think mm. that's evidenced by the fact that he so readily believes when, trio, um, yeah. when Harry comes back and he's like, Sirius is innocent or whatever, and he says, oh, save this innocent life. He almost doesn't question it any further. I don't think he knew all along, mm. uh, but I think it was he had heavy suspicions and then trust Harry enough to be like, alright, my suspicions were correct. Because if anyone has yeah. to be angry towards Sirius, the, the, the Sirius that the public has concocted, it would be Harry. Yeah. So uh, so if Harry's being like, no, Sirius is innocent, like that means a lot coming from him. Guys, well, I think I think Caleb's absolutely right. Dumbledore knew Sirius from as a child and maybe right. didn't ever believe it. What if Dumbledore helped Get him into the castle. No, uh, that's a little much. I don't think so. Yeah, we we actually got a Twitter, a Twitter question from Shwayb seven o two. It says, "Why didn't Dumbledore use legitimacy on Sirius to ascertain the truth and use that to free him?" So, and I think what we're saying is that Dumbledore kind of knew already, right? Right. Right. And Dumbledore wasn't, yeah, because he didn't have a trial with the way the Ministry was, you know, had had created this story, like. Dumbledore was not in a position where he could just go and use that. Like it's, he still has a public figure to uphold, um, and he could, uh, and he couldn't just like you know walk in and. I also have a problem with. I can never pronounce this word. Legilimency. In a free will kind of aspect of not giving someone the choice to reveal that information about themselves, and you see. Like obviously, Snape abuses that power. It seems like Sirius does to a degree too, but. I don't think Dumbledore really. I, I don't know, but I, th- I, I wouldn't abuse that power because it's it, people deserve to not have to sh- share information. But I, I definitely agree with that. And there's also the fact that uh, I, I believe memories are alterable, as has been proved with, with Slughorn. So it's possible that maybe you use legitimacy on a, a convict, mm-hmm. but something's been someone else has gotten there first. Especially yeah, but Dumbledore has. knew it was altered, so I feel like they would know if it was. And I think memories are different than thoughts. Right. Yeah. Completely. Like active thoughts. Cause, cause what, Lil- what if someone's Lil- under the Imperius curse? Oh, interesting. Hmm. So what are you suggesting Dumbledore should have resorted to the Imperius curse to figure it all out? I'm saying Dumb- Dumbledore is a pretty strong sense well, what of would character. The, what would the Imperius curse have accomplished? Think more like Veritaserum than the Imperius. Well, well, here's the yeah. thing. I think if you use the Imperius curse on someone, what if their thoughts are very much aligned with the bad deed that they did because they have been controlled to do it, and therefore you use legitimacy, 
if they've been imperious before, it doesn't matter what thoughts you read in the moment because they really shouldn't be responsible for that act that they did. All right, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's why the imperious curse is illegal. illegal. Just, yeah. Well, for many reasons, that's, it's also a free will thing, um, that people can't be held responsible for doing heinous things. But. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, like, there's so much uh, stuff about morality um, and free will in, in the series. Um, Snape, but I think Snape and Dumbledore have such a strong sense of character um, that they can just sort of do it on the fly just by looking, looking at you. And that's sort of the best way to do it as opposed to just kind of grabbing them in a room and doing it, really kind of going in with your wand in a more invasive mm-hmm. way. We have this really funny Twitter question from um, someone, because we know that in the movie and the book, they do it slightly different. In the movie, Hermione slaps him. In the movie, she punches him. Um, when they're about, I guess when they're about to go on the time travel? No, yeah, so when Hermione punches Malfoy in Prisoner of Azkaban. Great scene. Um, <laughs> and the question was on Twitter, and this is from Oogie0811. Did Malfoy reveal that he was slapped slash punched by a girl, a.k.a. Hermione? I don't think that'd be something he'd be really willing to talk about. I mean, Crabbe yeah. and Goyle already witnessed it, so. Well, now, that I've been saying this throughout all, all of our Prisoner discussion with in regards to him and Buckbeak, that... It, I, I mean, for how much Malfoy was tormenting Harry about the Dementors affecting him, that it seemed like the logical thing for everyone to do would be to turn that right back around on Malfoy and be like, oh, you right. couldn't, you're crying over Buckbeak and you got like a scratch. And, mm. But no one does that. Uh, that I almost, as much as I would say, oh, you know, Draco wouldn't want to tell anyone, you know, he did with Buckbeak. He didn't seem to care about his own manly pride. Doesn't seem <laughs> to have much. So it's. I, I think he would. He would just. Be like, I'm not sure he'd brag about it. Me. But yeah. 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 But I don't know. I mean, I about Draco. I, I think it was a huge hit to his masculinity. I mean, in a way, in his in sense of he's he's the sort of main leader of the Goyle Crab crew, and for someone like Hermione, who's, you know, arguably second in command in the trio, to punch him in the face, it's uh, that. Totally took him down. It always goes to gender issues with you, doesn't it? It, it always there. comes to gender issues with me. <laughs> oh, we, got, we got some questions. Do you guys, do you guys both want to come up? Uh, well, I, just to um, I just wanted uh, to point out that I don't think Hermione is really second in command in the trio because I think one of the good things about the trio is that they're very inclusive. So even though Harry is undoubtedly the leader, he like I feel like they're all sort of on sort of equal ground a lot of the time because... If you think about it, in Sorcerer's Stone, when they're figuring everything out, like, all of them have to work together to figure out, like, Harry couldn't do it on his own, whereas if Malfoy wants to do something, he doesn't really need Crab and Goyle. All they do is follow him around. So I feel like... Right, and I don't mean to put Hermione in a Crab and Goyle position. Uh, (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) All all I'm saying is that, um, and just just to be frank, I feel like Hermione is there at the end. Like, you remember in the Sorcerer's Stone movie Mm -hmm. when Ron sacrifices himself very nobly on the chessboard. Very and then, dramatically. Very dramatically. Her, and then I, Hermione tells Harry, you know what, you have to go on and you have to do this sort of thing. And I think that, that moment, it's, this is not canon, but I think it really kind of captures the sense of the trio. Harry is the one who has to kind of go forth and do stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, as great as Hermione is, and she's, she's certainly, she's, it's, this isn't about equality, mm-hmm. she's, she's in this supporting role for Harry. At just as much as Ron is, I would say, is a supporting role for Harry um, in different ways. So I'm saying I'm aligning Ron and Hermione. 
um, mm -hmm. and not putting Hermione down, but Harry is this clear leader. He's the one who is actively, they've chosen him to do stuff, and in as much as Joe engages this hero story where it is a male, this is, this is sort of what mega feminists would argue is engaging patriarchy, frankly, that it is the man who must go forth and do this thing, which many world-organized stuff also has that at its core, which is the man does this, which we should be skeptical of, is maybe, yeah. But I do think as far as that goes, um, it, like... I, I see I see Ron as almost uh, serving, whereas Hermione's able to serve like a million different functions for Harry. Ron has come through a lot, but there've been for like very specific times. He's less useful in a general sense, whereas like he did the wizard chess, he destroyed the Horcrux, he achieved almost like specific ta tasks that you know Harry obviously needed him, and he just you know obviously needed him for the moral support of just having a best friend. Um, but yeah, Ron kind of served very specific tasks when he, he's almost not less useful than Hermione, but less frequently useful. It, it's, but that's absolutely true. But to that extent, he's lived in Harry's shadow a bit for so long, and he's had to struggle with that. I kind of, like, what is that like for Ron as this total Well, I mean, we go through that man. in the next book with him, so yeah, yeah we'll leave that. Let's hold off on you have that. A, do you have a thought? Yes, I have a kind of silly theory about why Hermione, Hermione has snapped so much. I love silly theories. It's totally okay. He, he does. It's well, true. Well, bear with me. She's been time traveling like every single day. And so her body processes have sort of sped up. As well as she's now a teenager. So, boys, I'm sorry, but do you think she might have had PMS at, during that moment? <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm well, the clock out now. Have her, have her body processes sped up, or has she just been staying up many more hours in a day than they have? Because and well, I, anyone would get tired from that. Yes, stress. well, that means well, she's sort of been living three days in one. So yeah, she's kind of have been like living three times more than everybody else right now at her thirteen-year-old self. Is PMS real or is it just an idea that becomes real because everyone buys into the social norm? This is no, it's real. <laughs> anyway, so I actually have a quick, quick side note question that we come up with, um, come up to a lot in the show. I'm thinking about like Ron is like very specific moments, and Hermione is more helpful throughout the series. I think in general, and there's more like collaboration I think between Hermione and Harry than um, the other any other combination of the three. So, like, I want to know how many of you guys, like, early in the series, when you were reading, were Harry and Hermione shippers, like I was. That view? Really? Come on. So you guys were Ron and Hermione from the start? I wasn't uh. thinking about it enough when they were, like, 11. Like, I didn't start caring about shipping until they were old enough where that mattered, but it wasn't, like, when they were in the early books. Caring. Wait, we got, we got a lot of comments from the crowd right here. Um. Please, somebody, somebody new, come up to the microphone. Tell us your, your thoughts on shipping, on, on the Harmony ship. And Harmony. Oh, it's been, that is, that it's is been the, a minute since I've heard bridge. that. <laughs> Anybody? I mean, I think... I, th yeah. I don't know. We're I think it works. We're going to move past Harmony. Um, Ellie, right. Ellie do you have any kind of fun ship? So shipping is the... I don't know if you're familiar with the term. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a fandom idea of like these two characters who want to get together. Any, are there any characters in the Harry Potter series that like you want to see together? I think... Together? When Ron no, first meets Hermione on the train, I think from then on he's always kind of liked her. And 
known that. And then I think it breaks his heart when she returns, I think, in the Chamber of Secrets, when she comes back and her and Harry run and then, like, embrace. And then she stands there, she goes to hug Ron, and then she doesn't and just shakes yeah. his hand. I think Ron's heartbroken then. I felt really sorry for him because I think he's always liked her from then on. And I think it was quite hard on him, and Hermione sort of broke his heart. They were about your age now in that movie uh, when they filmed that scene in Chamber of Secrets. They were your age. Really? Well, well yeah, they're like 12, 13. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Oh. It's cool stuff. <laughs> uh, so should we move on yeah, to um, part of the show we always do as a special feature in one of kind of the things we decided to do with the show is we're going to talk about the new Pottermore information. Um, because nobody has ever talked about that before. So today we're going to talk about um, Hogwarts portraits. How do you guys feel about Pottermore in general? It's such a polarizing yeah. thing. How I many of you guys are like really already over it and angry about that? Everybody give a hand right? for Pottermore. <laughs> yeah. how, many people are, how many people are still big fans of it? The information. That's the thing. Okay. Is like, I, yeah. As much as I, I, I refuse to say I like Pottermore, because I don't. I hate Pottermore. I like the new information, and I just want it given to me in, like, just, like, in the same way that I like J.K. Rowling's writing. How about an encyclopedia? What a clap for that. Encyclopedia! Yeah, there we go. There we go. So I, it's, it's nothing to say to Pottermore. It's still J.K. Rowling's talent so, that I'm So when Rowling listens to this episode, as she listens to all of ours, she'll hear all the fans <laughs> clapping for the encyclopedia. Not just but... Not just the information, but there could be so many different special features that Pottermore could do. Yeah, more, no. more engagement, more interaction. Maybe less frustrating potions. The, Who gets more, mad at the, the potions? The, that's the thing is, I know I will second that because that's when we are preparing for the show. We, you know, we have to read up on the Pottermore things. I can never get past the game, so I can't get. Like, I'm the only one that's caught up. Yeah. No, like we, I have to get the information from Cat because I'm like stuck trying to get like. The mandrakes or whatever. You know what I want? I want them to simulate. I want them to simulate a Quidditch game, like that for all the fans to just watch, and somehow all the houses like somehow make the Quidditch teams win and play each other, and everyone watches this great scene online. You have a Something Pottermore like comment? That. Yes. Um, I originally was a beta for Pottermore, and I was all excited. And while it's really just not as good as it could have been, like it was interesting seeing it advance, and some of the things have changed. Like, it became a lot more interactive, especially as the books went on. Um, so they did take notice. However, it still got really boring after a while. And yeah. all I just kept saying was, can I just get the information already? Why can't I just download all of it now? Yeah, and yeah. that's my problem with it is if, if, if this is their job to, like, make this whole interactive thing and they're really only going to do it going through the books once, I think that there should have been something at every single scene not not necessarily even just more information, but just something to do that isn't just picking up a chocolate frog. Right. That serves really no oh, purpose. Oh, yeah. So, has anyone not heard the new information on the portraits? A lot of hands just went up. Okay. Yeah, so maybe... Can we just cover it all? Can we just should, read it? Should I, should I just read the new information? Do you guys want to hear it? Yeah. It's new information, Kath. Of course they want to hear it. It's like five paragraphs. I'm not that good at reading in public. Okay. <laughs> All right, so it says, Hogwarts portraits are able to talk and move around from picture to picture. They behave like their subjects. However, the degree to which they can interact with the people looking at them depends not on the skill of the painter, but on the power of the witch or wizard painted. When a magical portrait is taken, a witch or wizard artist will naturally use enchantments to ensure that the painting will be able to move in the usual way. The portrait will be able to use some of the subject's favorite phrases and imitate their general demeanor. Thus, Sir Cadagan's portrait is forever challenging people to a fight, 
falling off its horse and behaving in a fairly unbalanced way, which is how the subject appeared to the poor wizard who had to paint him, while the portrait of the fat lady continues to indulge her love of good food, drink, and tip-top security long after her living model passed away. However, neither of these portraits would be capable of having a particularly in-depth discussion about more complex aspects of their lives. They are literally and metaphorically two-dimensional. They are only representations of the living subject as seen by the artist. Some magical portraits are capable of considerably more interaction with the living world. Traditionally, a headmaster or headmistress is painted before their death. Once the portrait is completed, the headmaster or headmistress in question, in question keeps it under lock and key, regularly visiting it in its cupboard, if so desired, to teach it to act and behave exactly like themselves and imparting all kinds of useful information and pieces of knowledge that may then be shared through the centuries with the successors in office. The depth of knowledge and insight contained in some of the headmasters and headmistresses' portraits is unknown to any but the incumbents of the office and the few students who have realized over the centuries that the portrait's apparent sleepiness when visitors arrive in the office is not necessarily genuine. So one thing I really love about that is just listening to it again, it reminds me almost of presidents, like, here in America when they get their portraits done while they're still in yeah. office. Obviously, we know those don't talk, or, or do they? Um, <laughs> what if? Uh, right, right. But um, I'm so glad she shared the information about the headmasters and headmistresses. I mean, that's something we had talked about on the show for so long. And we were dead on, and, I'm yeah, just saying. We were pretty pretty accurate on you. Do you have a thought over there for us? Yeah. Sorry, I keep uh, coming with your no. point. No, you're, okay. you're great. You're part of the show. Um, well, the thing I was curious about that this didn't answer was the fact that if you remember when Mr. Weasley was uh, uh, poisoned by Nagini, um, one of the headmaster's portraits um, went to St. Mungo's, and obviously they have two portraits there, so were they both painted at the same time? Because she can go in either portrait. There's not mm. two. Like, she's either in one or she's in the other. Like... So I was wondering how that worked, and I and that wasn't answered, and that disappointed me. But but then what about the fact that the fat lady, when she gets struck, she can move into another person? I think well, she's saying no, these are two portraits is, of the yeah. same. They're person. two portraits of the same person, yeah, which is why I can travel from the Ministry of Magic to to the Hogwarts to the to Dumbledore's office, and also there's another one that can travel from Dumbledore's office to the St. No, Mungo's no, no, no. to I, warn them. I hear you. I'm just saying that if if the figures arguably in the paintings can travel to each other's paintings anyway. Why would these two paintings have had to be painted simultaneously for them to travel back there? But then there would be well, two of her and not just one. I think. Well, I mean, yeah. it's not that they were painted even simultaneously, but if they're two different reflections um, going either way, it could, if it's just the two-dimensional one, it's you know could be two different artists' interpretation of the person, and that's you know now two different kind of representations of that of that person. Or if. Uh, may, if they did the thing where they talk to the portrait and teach it about themselves, do they do that equally to the same portrait? It's just kind of comparing the two different representations of someone that was painted twice. But that's good to know. I I like that the information tells us how Dumbledore put all of that into into his portrait for Snape. I mean, that answers that question. Yeah, because obviously that last year of Dumbledore's life, he knew he was dying. Right. So he had the opportunity to exactly. impart a lot of knowledge. But that's, which is which is kind of weird in a way. So to what extent are these figures in the paintings conscious or like consciously aware and can like change their opinions, gather information? Um, are, are they sentient? So Ellie, Ellie, what do you think of the sort of portrait world? So we have these kind of vast theories of this idea of the figures in portraits existing in like a parallel dimension, a parallel dimension. or that, that is uh, kind of, they, I mean, they, they talk to each other. How real are these figures? 
I'm, I'm not really sure, but I think that with all the time that people have had, it depends how long they've known that they were going to pass. So with Dumbledore, he knew really early on that he was dying. So he had a lot of time to teach the portrait, I guess. But when the portrait Ooh, is first okay. painted, I think they have no idea who they are. And they need to learn who they are, which I think that if any, any of the other portraits, if someone doesn't know they're dying, but they paint, they paint it, and then they die, but they haven't taught the portrait, how do they know... How does the portrait know how to act like that person? You're saying Dumbledore might have taught his own portrait. How to act like himself. So that he has maybe his own, the same knowledge as Dumbledore does. But how do other portraits know what knowledge that, or how to act like that person when they might, when the actual person might not have known they were going to die? I, I think only the headmasters and headmistresses get theirs painted ahead of time. Right? Yeah, I, I, That's what I, I assume. Mean, so, he, they, so Dumbledore like implanted certain bits of information to... And we, so that's yes. really cool. That, I, I like it a lot. On the show, we I've, I've since I've come around, but uh, everyone but me believed obviously that Dumbledore had spent a lot of time with his portrait. I my original thought was that he didn't. Bless you. Just because I saw that my my initial reaction towards it was a vanity thing, like someone wanting uh, to to spend all this time with their portraits so that they forever live on. And I never Dumbledore never struck me as someone yeah, <laughs> that. Um, yeah. yeah, that would would care, especially since he has so much more important things to do with the Horcruxes and everything. His final time, the, my initial reaction was that he just wouldn't care. Like, who cares when I die? Like, I die, and who cares about my portrait? But I was yelled at by everyone, and I would care a lot about my portrait. Can I just yeah. say yeah. I'd want? We'll I'd get want, there. But, um, I wish we all had portraits and we could like talk to each other, like, yeah. and we were like going. So, but I've come around in that you guys were, and all the commenters on the forums that were like, Laura's wrong. Um, uh, <laughs> of it being a responsibility thing, of um, rather than it being a, a matter of vanity. Well, I think according to this information, JK is calling you wrong. So <laughs> so. Ultimate shutdown. You have a comment? Um, yes, and it's about the uh, different portraits as well as it ties in with uh, yours, Ellie. And I think that there is sort of like one master portrait person for in this big portrait world, but all of the different representations sort of combine their knowledge, which is if a headmaster didn't spend much time, then they would get this information from like the other portraits that got painted out of. As well as with Phidias Nigellus, most of his portrait not in the uh, office was a muddy canvas, as was explained that talked, even though he wasn't there. So it was sort of like that there was only one, but they can travel between all the different portraits that they have more readily than in different portraits of a... Other people. As part of the portrait world. Right. Portrait world. Parallel universe. Right. But that's a good point. They They all talk to each other, and there's like this whole collection of knowledge that all the portraits probably know, so they're kind of keeping up to date with the with all the world events as they go. We have another comment. Yeah, uh, well, I, speaking of the headmaster portraits and, like, teaching them about themselves and that sort of thing, I was just sort of, I just had, like, a, a wonderment about, not really, like, a statement, but whether they're capable of independent thought. Like, if they're taught all the memories and things that the headmaster himself or herself knows... But if someone were to ask them a question, if they can only relate information 
that they like specifically that they were taught and that they know, or if they can make their own conjectures about you know something like that. Like if they have Dumbledore's wisdom to be able to, if Dumbledore's portrait would be able to had come to the conclusions that Dumbledore would be able to come to just because you know you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, think, yeah. I, have, I have a thought on that. Um, at least when Dumbledore is talking to Harry at the end, um, he kind of gives him more advice rather than making making like an he's not really making an analytical thing like figuring something out, but he's giving him advice. So I think that it kind of has to do with Dumbledore teaching him his own morals and values. And the the same way we everyone makes a decision, people make a decision based on you know their own beliefs and values and what they believe is morally right. So he kind of would instill those values in him. So the now portrait has said values and can in- create decisions. Based yeah, I feel on like that. what you asked is something we've talked about before, nope. and I don't think that they have independent thought. But I know Noah does. I'm with Cat on this. I don't think they can learn. I don't think they can right learn anything past the information they already know. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. You don't have to single me out. Oh, you changed your mind? Yeah, I did. Oh, okay. I can change my mind. <laughs> so, if we were to paint portraits of each other, we talked about this last night, wh- what would they be? Alright, so... So, I, I was thinking about what Noah's portrait would look like, or what it would be doing, rather. <laughs> uh, I think, for the most part, there, w- there will... In the background, there would definitely be a desk pig going back and forth, like, between the two forms. Like, starts as a desk, and then it moves to a pig, and back and forth. Um, I don't think the setting of the portrait is too important, but I think that what the portrait's doing, like, Noah's always just trying to, like, grab the attention of anyone walking by to explain some, like, important theory, try to get them on his side. Um, because even in death, um, Noah would want to just try to... Give them everything he's got. Actually, in, in death, I'd want to explain what was going on to the to the person, but maybe my portrait couldn't really accurately explain that. Um, and I would do I would I would make a cat's portrait, um, and she would of course be surrounded by many fluffy animals. That's <laughs> it. Um, no, no, okay. a, a Harry Potter shrine um, with all things, and include, at the very top, um, I'm thinking um, like that character who plays. Oh, if I get the actor's name wrong, it'll just be it'll just be terrible. Oh, the, the Neville, what, what's his what's his name? Matthew Lewis. Matt Lewis. Matt Lewis. You did Matt Lewis right at the top um, in your painting. Why and Matt you are, Lewis? Why Matt Lewis? Because you, you've confided to me in private that you think he's pretty. Let's <laughs> 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 not pull personal moments no, out. As far as the, what would her character like? What would her traits be? Uh, being besides prepared? just kind of looking at Matthew Lewis on top of the Harry Potter show. How would she interact with with the people passing by? Hmm. I mean, how does cat? It would kind of be how cat normally interacts, kind of going around and, and looking and being very observe, uh, observing is that she is. She's like a cat. Like a cat, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. All right, so um, I decided that I would do Laura's portraits. Um, and Laura, for those of you that don't know, is very into journalism and wants to be a travel writer and work for National Geographic. So I see her, I feel like her portrait might be somewhere exotic, like in the desert or, Labor you know, the at, at the top of a mountain or something, and she would have backpacks and water bottles and notebooks and cameras. Ooh, that's and, good. and she would just ask inquisitive questions to every person that walked by. I can dig it. You like it? That's I like good? it. All right. Ellie, so, you're... Uh, wait, oh, wait, no, sorry, I, Laura. Caleb. Um, well, uh, Caleb kind of alluded to this as far as the uh, teaching your portrait. Caleb would be sitting with his portrait, be teaching gentle. it for hours on a day, just like everything. 
So just, yeah, what we were saying, the vanity teaching, aspect Teaching of it. them about what? By yourself. Well, all right. Well, Caleb would be saying, just eye-rolling the entire time. Every time the portrait, anyone walks by, is just eye-rolling and going, ugh. But, um, yeah, no, Caleb would be, hmm, he's very... Into, Irish pride. Hmm? Yeah, Irish pride, but the Minerva's My Homegirl t-shirt, perpetually on. Um, and uh, I think uh, Caleb's very into politics, probably be a politician one day, so I think in the same way the presidential portraits are made, just in <laughs> very, in the suit, very suit but, but perpetually eye-rolling. Yeah, <laughs> So now we want to, Ellie. We want to ask you how, if you got to describe and pick how J.K. Rowling's portrait would be, what do you think that would be like? I would paint her as a calm and elegant and a person that, whenever anyone walks past, she'll always comfort them. She will always give help to anyone who needs it, to anyone who deserves it. Um, And I think if I had to paint the picture, I think she would be sat. A traditional wooden desk with a mm. huge library behind her, with a pen and a pad in front of her, and just sat there thinking of what could happen next and using her surroundings to write and paint the picture. I guess. Is she writing more Harry Potter? <laughs> Tell us. No, like in her portrait. Tell me that's what she's writing. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yay! Yeah. She wrote the ninth. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So, uh, Ellie, actually, I think I. I asked you this uh, at breakfast. Uh, if they if they did like a Harry Potter movie revamp in thirty years, would you repo- reprise the role of Lily Potter uh, as as an older? I think that'd be a good idea. <laughs> Since I played it when I was young, I could play it as the mom. I could be the that big would, girl. That would make sense. <laughs> that would be perfect. Would you guys see that movie? Like, yeah. <laughs> Keith would probably disagree and say no more movies, though. Right. <laughs> um, so we got a lot, um, really quick, we just wanted to touch on the Marauders map because we did get quite a bit of information on the new Pottermore stuff there. Um, the information it touched on was uh, how the, you know, how Fred and George figured out the, um, the map, like why it was created. How it was created. How it that. was created. Yeah, we just wanted to quickly touch on it. We just, um, we got another Twitter comment from Monty Curliz. No idea how to say that. It says, um, why didn't Professor Lupin see Harry and Hermione twice on the map when they were traveling back in time? Or would you, yeah. So you'd see four different figures running around, two Harrys, two Hermione's. And then if he only saw two, which two did he see? Right. Anyone have any thoughts? Go ahead. Um, I would think that Lupin would be so distracted by seeing Pettigrew. Like, if he's distracted enough that he forgets that it's a full moon and needs to take his Volstagg potion, I don't think he'd really be, like, he'd really notice the other Harry and Hermione because he's so focused on the fact that there's a set of Harry and Hermione and Ron with Peter Pettigrew and Sirius Black. And if he saw that, he'd probably be freaking out about that and not worrying about the other parts of the map because they're not actually in, like, the same place. They're... Um, they're hiding out in the woods, which isn't the Shrieking Shack, and then they're hiding out in Hagrid's hut. And, you know, I think that he wouldn't be as distracted. He, I mean, he would be distracted by that. And um, also that sort of ties in what I want to say earlier is that Dumbledore might, like, he knows he was there when Buckbeak escaped, so he probably knows that Harry and Hermione went back in time, and he, like, figured it out as soon as he figured out that... Um, like that they could, that Sirius was innocent, that they would 
that, that they would go back in time. So I don't think he's all-knowing. I think he just noticed what had already happened. Observant. Yeah. Mm. Got it. Thank you. Well, I was thinking earlier when we were talking about time travel about how, you know how in the movies they have that gag where Ron is always like, were you here the whole time? Like whenever, you know, Hermione's in a class. And, Comic relief and he doesn't, <laughs> But he doesn't see her in the class. But she has taken the class, but if she ha- but whether she's actually been in the class when he is... Like, it just doesn't really make any sense if, if there's, like, a different timeline for each class that she goes to and that she's only present in one of those and then the other ones she's absent from the class and that, that Ron doesn't see her in the class in that one. So if maybe also in the map there's only one, like, map that has one of the people on it visible in one specific time, and yep. then there's, like, another time with them on the map in the woods instead of in, you know, that kind of thing. Because no, that, that's interesting um, of the, like, it, going back to, you know, whether, like, there's parallel things of, um, yeah, depending on, on in which timeline you're looking at the map depends on where you'd be, but uh, also, we have to remember, um, when, when we look at the Marauders map, we're always, or when we say we, I mean the characters, uh, it, they're looking for the integral people, like Dumbledore, Ron, Hermione, but there are all those extraneous, like, people clouding up the map, like, I, it's, for the thousands of whoever is there, you know, it, it's kind of frustrating, you know, you can look, oh, is Dumbledore in his office, like, certain things, but as far as just looking around, you have all those students and their, you know, full names kind of and sure. moving and jumbling it up that it's probably difficult to read. I think that it touches on the inc- level of inconsistencies for the Marauders map throughout the series that, you know, and I think that's something that Rowling has come back and said that, you know, it's something she she admittedly kind of dropped the ball on in some right. parts, but it is, and understandably so, it's such a complex, like, element to that universe. Um, right. Question for the general group here. Um, if you are under the invisibility cloak, do you show up on the Marauder's map? Um, I think there's no question. Is that confirmed? Yes, that is yes. confirmed. J.K. Rowling did say that, and I believe Lupin said that in the book, actually, in the third or fourth one, because they talked about that. And uh, as well as why Her- Harry and Hermione wouldn't show up twice, I believe that parts of the Forbidden Forest aren't, on, on the map, the map. It, I think that's also been confirmed. So maybe they were just hiding when they were deep enough into the forest where they just didn't show on the map at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it just sort of made sense that they wouldn't be seen. And uh, okay, so that kind of speaks to sort of magical universe theory that Dumbledore suspects that Harry and Hermione are like. Have the, remember when we had a Steve Vanderark on our episode and he suggested yeah. that the magical universe at Hogwarts kind of like was going to show the right way. Or that there was some force in the Harry Potter series that is just going to make it okay, so that they were Harry and Hermione were always like hidden on some way in the map, or maybe Lupin just wasn't looking, or it just works out that you don't they wouldn't show up be, just so that um, the time travel would work out okay for them. Did anyone come up with a what if question for us? Come up. Awesome. Um, well, my I've had like let's because I must on the topic of shipping earlier, I kind of ship Harry and Luna, which everyone disagrees with yes. me about. Yes, that's great. I, I <laughs> cool. ship them too. Um, so my question was, uh, what if Harry was with Luna instead of Ginny? Hmm. Um, because what would their name be? Larry. 
<laughs> you were waiting for that one. <laughs> Actually, I, I, um, I, I wouldn't call them Larry. Would, what would you call them? I'm Larry. No, I, I, I'd call them Huna. like Huna. Yeah. Huna. Huna. Okay. Let's see a general um, applause for Huna. Huna. <laughs> okay. Now, what's the some applause for Larry? Yeah, yeah. All right, it's kind of even. I'm, About I'm the same, yeah. Um, any any Harry Luna shippers on, uh, in this panel? No, or? no, oh, well, sorry. I, th- <laughs> I think they were, because in the Order of the Phoenix, I think they were too good of friends mm. that mm-hmm. they anything could have happened. They, they, uh, him, Harry really sympathized with with Luna and kind of like yeah. included her, and I think mm-hmm. there was that friendship. They have a rather intimate scene in, with the Thrustral and the meat. That's yeah. only yeah. That's, that's movie, the movie. In the movie, on both, I yeah. think that him and Ginny have always kind of been distant but friends, and then towards the end of it, end of the series, that's when they start start getting closer. And I think it's always been like that. Yeah. So I guess him and Luna were f- good friends rather than anything could have happened. So yeah. yeah. I mean that's that's kind of the consensus, and especially I think I think Joe herself would say that was uh, that was the answer. But there are those who say that well, you know why why trust Joe on these matters? She only wrote the book. Uh, like even uh, we have we have Irvin. Um, he's actually he, right today. He is running around as Mrs. Black uh, with the portrait. But he wrote an essay on our site uh, about how why Luna and Neville should have been together, even though uh, Joe has come out multiple times saying that they shouldn't be. Um, and I think even well, didn't she say they had a fling? She said yeah. That, no, that's right. what I always say is like. Everyone at Hogwarts, like, they date once and then they get married. Like, I, I think like, people are like, oh, like, Luna and Neville didn't get together. They didn't get married. They could have, like, dated. They, like, they what would that date be like? <laughs> the most awkward date awkward ever. <laughs> but don't the movies kind of set it up? Absolutely. I, like, towards well, the, the end. Yeah. The movies set up a lot of things that don't happen in the books. It's, so. it's Draco and Harry on that broom and uh, the room requirement. All right, Noah, Anybody? do not go there. Um, <laughs> I, I just... <laughs> I just wanted to say one thing about the Harry Luna thing is because, like, a lot of people, I know a lot of people think that Harry should be with Ginny, and that's why, but one of my friends, when I told her that, she said Harry doesn't have enough personality for Luna. Oh. <laughs> so true. Um, like, Luna, on that one. Yeah, uh, she said that the only way that it was even possible is if Luna was someone who was with someone who wasn't even in the books because she had too much personality for anyone in there. But she also doesn't ship Harry and Ginny because yeah. she feels that Harry and Ginny don't, like, I know they're really meant for each other, and I can kind of accept it, but at the same time, I feel like Ginny doesn't have... I feel like even though Ginny's in more books, I think she and Luna actually have equal presence. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Does so anyone else have any what other what-if questions? No. Good one. Um, what if Snape were a girl and was just best friends with with uh, Lily instead of uh, the, uh, the high... Nice guy that we all know and love, and was in love with with uh, Lily. I just want to say I don't love Snape. You're gonna get some hate. That's You're about to get a lot of. Hate. I don't love Snape either. I'm not as I think drastic. Cool. Yeah. I'm not as drastic what if Snape was a girl? Oh, I'm not man. as drastic on what Cat's stance is. Like, like, right. I um, I do agree that like um, I'm Snape is kind of put on a bit of a pedestal just in. Snape's one of my favorite characters. No, I do. I love. I love him, but like, I uh, I don't know. I'm not as as much as I'm like not as drastic as Cat, sure. but like uh, leaning more. Towards but Noah, I think that question was for you. You're the gender because thing. that's 
Well, we'll let you answer that one, buddy. Well, the, the thing is, Snape—he's—he's uh, he's already kind of the long, you know, the long hair is already there. Um, would he would he look very much different? Um, you know, God hopes. So. I would hope. So. But Snape is a woman. I mean, he wouldn't have the same issues with Harry. He'd probably be Harry's greatest support. Um, but his sort of—not um, to say that if if Snape was a woman, she she couldn't have equally fallen in love with Lily growing up. Though that would have been a much different reason why That's she would have picked James um, ultimately. Yeah. You take um, one more. What if? No? Nope. Got someone coming up. What are you dressed as, by the way? You've got Mrs. Finney. Oh, nice. Perfect. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, what if Snape hadn't been bullied or uh, been taken in by Lucia, Lucius from the beginning? Would things have huh. ended up very differently? Yeah, I think that's an excellent question because that sort of you know set off his his school culture, his the way he he went through school was because of that, um, you know, bringing into that Slytherin crew. Um, that would have changed a lot of things. I think that he would he would have, you know, been closer with Lily the whole time, and that relationship would not have fallen out in the end. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that... What if Snape had been in Gryffindor, for the record? Yeah, I don't think Snape would have ever been in Gryffindor, personally. Agreed. Um, but I, I think his relationship with Lily would have... I still don't... Well, I don't know. I Didn't mean, they? Don't they soar too early? As Dumbledore said. Well, I I don't know because I think that was the reason why Sil- Lily ultimately did not return his love is because of the way he was um, with that Slytherin crew. So I think we would have had a very different outcome. I think it's also just a bit of like a friend zoning issue, like. But I don't know if they would have been a friend zone if I just I think that that it could have happened because she would have seen James more as that hoodlum that he was and like picking on people. Whereas if Snape would have, if Snape never had been a Gryffindor, he could have been a Marauder. No. No. What if Snape were in Hufflepuff? Ooh. I, think I always thought I think Snape should have been in Hufflepuff. I think that's the last house. He's Snape such a sweet guy, and he's agree. not really truly as sly he's as a no. Slytherin. I don't know. But he's loyal to those that show him loyalty, and when you actually, it seems like, be his friend. He is very loyal to those. Like, he's reason he is so loyal to Lily. So that's why I think he's a helpful. I think I have to completely disagree just yeah. because, and I think, yeah, Kat would definitely agree. Um, that, and that's the, that's the problem I have with Snape in this fandom. I love him as a character. That doesn't mean I love him as a guy. Um, right. I think that, you know, and that's why, you know, I say the same thing about Sirius. Sirius is my favorite character. I don't, by, he's by no means perfect. I don't think Snape's a sweet guy by any means. I think, and that's been my frustration rereading the series, is just like all the stuff Snape does that is just so much of like a jerk move, even just as a teacher and everything, that I'm like, he's, there's the big reveal at the end, but even, you know, I, I would never, I don't think he's loyal. I think he's, I don't know. I think Slither, I think Snape is Slytherin regardless, and I think maybe the Slytherins in the room can agree with this, that he could have shown either side of the, either side of the Slytherin house. You know, had he not, you know, gone the quote wrong way, um, he could have shown the best that Slytherin could be. You know, I love Snape, and I think he's meant to be a Slytherin, and I don't necessarily say that's because he's evil, because I don't think you know Slytherins necessarily evil. We yeah. made that clear. There's plenty of people that are Slytherins. Um, Slytherins can be brave too, right? Grif- should a Slytherin sure. be? Couldn't a Slytherin be as brave as a Gryffindor? Right, and no, and also, you know, not every Gryffindor is brave. We see that in Pettigrew. There's yeah. uh, the, the houses. 
you know, it's so difficult to just say, you know, Gryff- Gryffindor's brave, Hufflepuff's nice, and everything. I you don't know, think it's. I don't think these are what they actually are. I think this is my personal it's belief a is that. No, it's what they most value. I think a Gryffindor most values courage. I think a Hufflepuff most values loyalty. Okay, yeah. Um, that's so their most values amb- ambition than that. How do you feel about that. Snape, but really? that, yeah, as someone who is kind of close to both these characters. <laughs> I think that deep down in Snape, he has always been quite, uh, I guess, loyal, and he can be kind, but he, he doesn't know how to show it. So with Lily... Why did you pick James? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you pick James? Let her finish. Go ahead, Ellie. <laughs> well, I think he... If he would have known how to show it, I think he would have been an amazing teacher. And I think that many of the students would have liked him. And right from the start, he has always cared and looked over Harry. So, Would Hufflepuff have brought that out then? Yes, rather than I do agree that Slytherin... While I think it fits him, it's not particularly a nurturing environment. Like, you know. Listen, we could talk about Snape for years. Now we're getting yeah. nature so, versus yeah, nurture here. Yeah, we're yeah, going to have to maybe take I one last know. comment, and then we're going to need to move on yeah. um, to our last part. Our last sure, comments. come up. Go ahead. I was just going to say that um, I think just in a general standpoint, as people, wizards, or in general, there is good and bad in everyone as... Dumbledore talks about to Harry that when Harry's really worried, like, what if I become evil? What if I become like the Dark Lord? So there are parts of you that are like the Dark Lord. Mm-hmm. There's parts of everyone that's dark, and there's light in everyone. And I think with Snape, yeah, he has good qualities. Everyone has good qualities. But, I mean, except for the Dark Lord, but that's a totally different subject. Like, everybody has good and bad in them. But that doesn't mean, oh, he's nice, so therefore he's a Hufflepuff. Yeah, yeah and that's right. what I get. Right. My, one of my Agreed. favorite quotes from the entire series is from, the, from Sirius. It says, the world isn't split into good people and Death Eaters. Um, right. I think, yeah, that couldn't be more true. I think you're not def- defined by your house reputation. Yeah. Um, one comment about Voldemort before we move no. on. I know it's just, just one, just one more. It, no one even comment. I just want to throw it out there. <laughs> I was talking to uh, Sue over there. We, we were hanging out last night. And we were talking about, uh, so Snape asked Voldemort, please spare Lily before you um, attack, kill Harry, right? And he gives Lily a choice. He listens to Snape and gives Lily a choice. That is the most, that means Voldemort has mercy to some degree for him to do that for Snape. He cared for Snape in that instant. So doesn't that mean that in Voldemort's heart in that moment he had a nugget of like goodness in him? No, he was going to win no matter what if she chose to come to his side. But why do you like, even listen to Snape? Why, did, why even do that? Why not just kill Lily and totally ignore because Snape? Because he wanted, I, he wanted her on his side so bad. That, yeah. Right. Exactly. Word. Not a choice. Yeah, it's exactly. Spoken probably from a true mother. That's right. right? Yeah, that's right. I, I was merely saying on the eve of Mother's Day. I was merely saying that Voldemort didn't need to give her the choice, and that. All right, well, no, that's, it's an awful thing to do. But we're, yeah, we're going to yeah, move yeah. on to our, yeah. to our last couple minutes. Okay. Yep. We're just going to wrap it up with some quick questions, so we want to hear... <laughs> Not as deep and pounding. No, just yeah. um, wrap things up. Yeah, just yell out yes answers. Or no. Okay, yeah. yeah. They're all yes or no questions, I believe. Are Hufflepuffs truly always hungry? Yes. 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 Yell out to the microphone. <laughs> Since they live by the kitchens in Hogwarts. <laughs> And we said the hungry, hungry Hufflepuff. Is it morally acceptable to kill mandrakes? No! <laughs> yes. 
Uh, I mean, no. This is you. not a yes, no. I don't know why we're... That, that's, I meant yes to the no. How, no, the next one. How, is, how do... Yeah, the next one is how do Dementors breed? That's not a yes or no question, Noah. That's a heavy question. That is a weird question to put in the yes or no section. Okay, so let's... Is the dust pig alive? Would Wait, you eat it? Do they know what the dust yeah, pig is? The dust pig Does anyone is... know what it is? Yes! Yeah. All right, for those who don't know, the dust pig <laughs> is like our longest running thing of... If back in like the very beginning, McGonagall transforms a desk into a pig and then back into a desk. And it, it like a throwaway comment of like, oh, would you be able to like eat that desk? Was it a real pig? We talked about it for into, like, 12 every episodes. So yeah. yeah, would you eat that desk? So and what would happen? Would it change back in your stomach? How would you digest it? Like so, we just yeah. So would you eat it? No, I'm vegetarian. You're vegetarian. You're Jewish. <laughs> exactly. Um, is the Monster Book of Monsters alive? Yes. No. No. Uh, is Hogwarts alive because of magic and how it creates and makes things kind of move? So is it is the entire thing alive and some okay? They are. Thanks, thanks to our. <laughs> That's Noah's. Noah, Noah contributed this question. part. Is it alive? Box, so yeah. <laughs> <He did. laughs> are Dementors alive? Yes. In a way. Are wands alive? Yes. They can come from trees. Trees are living things. That's right. And they talk to each other. Um, you could argue that the core to wood is kind of like heart and soul in a way in the in the wand, and they're they're multi multifaceted. They interact with the wand. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, there you go, metaphor for life. They are sentient. I, I I think they might be. Yes, and as we've seen with the effects of Priori Incantantum, when in the seventh book, Harry's wand responds to Voldemort's wand, they can communicate with each other and act on their own and stuff. Wouldn't that imply a certain degree of sent- sentience? I think we have a question from someone from Bovatins over here. No, it's, it's a comment. Oh, also, comment. Um, a Mr. Point. Ollivander says that Vila Hair makes, makes the wand uh, temperamental. Where are you from? France. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, uh, I think yeah. yeah. That wraps up the wraps, Is It Alive question. And wraps up the show. The show. It is 10.30. So thank you all so much for coming out and listening to the show. And hopefully those of you who are, who are new to the show, you will start to, to listen. We are on iTunes. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, and okay. also, yeah, if, if you want to check us out, you can find us at alohamora.mugglenet.com. You can find us at Twitter at, at AlohomoraMN, Facebook. And we have, at, a, we have an app, too, for oh Android yeah, and iPhone, app. all that. We so. have T-shirts. Um. There's a couple for sale upstairs. And we have host so. shirts. Caleb's the only one rocking his, but everyone but me has one. <laughs> Just because I'm new. So, um, yeah. Uh, and you guys should stick around because at what time? 10.45? Um, Joe and Ellie are going to be doing a Q&A in this room. So. Yeah. We and wanna... Also, just a shout-out to... Um, we have two other hosts on the show, uh, Rosie Morris and Eric Skull, for, uh, Eric Skull of MuggleCast. Um, so they're, they're not here today, but yeah, on the show you can check them out too. We're all rotating hosts. And so. we haven't announced this yet, 
on the show, but I figure we what should announce do? it today. Oh, no. Yeah? Oh, I think I know what it is. I don't know. Okay. If I, oh. um, we're super excited to announce that we're going to be at both Leaky Cons this summer. So if you're going, Portland you should come and back London. and check us out. Yeah. Um, let's also just give another round of applause for Ellie for joining us yes, today. Yes, thank really you. Woo. Great. So, All right. Thank you. I think thank you, guys. I'm Noah Freed. I'm Caleb Graves. I'm Laura Riley. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you. For listening to this episode of Love Mora. Yay! Open the Dumbledore. Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah. guys but do we need the mic to go around so that their voices can be picked up on a um, audio yeah if you guys have comments uh yeah please come up to this microphone just because we're to recording the show so that our listeners can hear you guys so they might think we were talking to ghosts but we weren't we were talking to an audience of people Well, the ghost host is here the ghost host you you just can't see him Uh.